0: Welcome to the Alternative to Rehab podcast with your host, Dave Cooper. So, uh, welcome to this uh, next episode of this series on my new book. I'm going to read today from chapter 11, which is called My Journey of Inner Discipling. This is where I go into a little bit more of my personal experience of this approach and how much it's influenced and affected me in my life. So I'll read uh, a certain amount of the chapter. I won't read all of it. uh, And then I will speak a little bit uh, to the reading. Here goes. Chapter 11. My own journey of inner discipling. I have been working with my own parts for years. It is important to remember that my experience stretches over several decades This means that my understanding has developed massively over these years. I think it may be useful to offer you a brief history of my own development. Once I have described how my understanding has developed, I will include a short section on how I'm living with my parts these days. The first time I was introduced to anything that resembled a parts approach was many years after I had personally recovered. I had been sober or clean for about 15 years and had begun working in rehabs. Although there was lots of talk of parts in various forms, none of the work was informed by neuroscience as it is today. The main difference was that none of these methods unblended and separated the disciple or part from the Christ-minded ...or authentic self. The fact that I and many others... ...had managed to recover... ...without any understanding of parts... ...reminds me that people recover... ...in many different ways. And this also helps me to remain open-minded... ...when working with people. There's then a section on King Baby. This approach emerged from a book... uh, ...called King Baby Syndrome... ...written by uh, Tom Cunningham that owed a lot actually to freud's 1914 paper on narcissism when i began working in rehabs i it was commonly used to explain narcissistic behavior and attitudes in the clients there was often talk in group sessions about the enormously powerful idea that this baby within the addict is also a king but apart from noticing this presence I don't remember any substantial theory or practice going along with it. There's another section then called My Addict. So this appear... uh, Okay, there's another section then called My Addict. This idea of My Addict appeared a little later as I remember it and involved a more substantial method behind it. Unlike the king baby, this part was identified as separate from the self and something that could think for itself. This was progress, but the whole idea was strongly linked with the medical model. This meant that the inner child, or inner addict as it was known, uh, was always constructed as a phenomenon of illness especially the problematic idea of spiritual sickness, which can be found in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This meant that it became just another thing to hate, uh, to fight and to defeat, leading to more conflict and self-loathing. Another short section called The Voices of Influence. It wasn't until I started my training as a systemic psychotherapist that the idea of what a human being is began to be expanded in my understanding. In client sessions, we often would ask about the client's voices of influence, but these were what we call introjects, uh, influencing voices from caregivers, parents, and teachers, etc. Essentially, this was a throwback to Freud, and so did not usefully separate the self or take the complexity as well as the ability of the brain into account. When we worked with this idea, it was mainly to help the clients see the influence of others on their lives. And now a section on inner discipling. It wasn't until much later when I was introduced to the work of Dr Schwartz that I really stepped into what we might call the biblical model of what a human being is. Because Dr Schwartz is a systemic psychotherapist and received the same training as myself, it really helped me to get the idea behind his work. He was essentially saying that all the methods and techniques that we were using with families could also be used internally. He found that the ideas were just as effective when thought of as the client's inner family. The assumption was that each person effectively lived with an inner family and could develop relationships with them. The most critical point about this was that it was not based on a medical model. In other words, it was not presented as part of a sickness or even because there was something wrong. This meant that each inner family member meant well and was not part of an illness or a condition. Although this was a giant step forward for me. It wasn't until God showed me that this was the way people were created and just as his word describes. Following this, I started to read the Bible very differently, especially the New Testament. This was the beginning of inner discipling. My work with others, both as a psychotherapist and pastoral worker, has become so much more effective since gaining this understanding. I then have a section on my parts my parts are quite typical to a lot of my clients with that in mind i want to show you how understanding of these things usually develops everyone is unique and individual so don't worry if your parts don't turn out the same as mine or anyone else's here is a list of stages i see often and the order in which they develop the first stage is when people realise that having parts is not an illness. That their parts are not part of an illness. Once we get that stage, then the second stage is realising that actually their parts are trying to help them. Realising that their parts are trying to help them. Not hinder them, not screw up their lives, not mess them up not some mental illness or spiritual sickness or demon or anything just your brain trying to help you stage 3 is learning that the parts can learn to trust them once the part once they are aware of you as an adult or authentic self or christ minded self whatever beliefs you have once your parts realize that that is who you are and you are present willing and able they can learn to trust you the fourth stage is starting to get a bit more complex as we move into the model more and realize that we have more than one part generally speaking people will come and will understand uh, the uh, strongest part if you like very quickly they will usually know oh yeah there's a part of me that whether it's, you know, has them drinking, using drugs, whatever. But realising that they are more complex than that uh, is another stage. So getting to a point where they say, well, actually, there's a part of me that does this, there's a part of me that does that, that's uh, usually a stage all in itself. The fifth stage, again, is we go into a more sophisticated understanding of ourselves is to realise that the parts are sequential. In other words, that there's a hierarchy amongst them and that they are, uh, at least the ones we're talking about, they are designed to cover the previous part. And again, this is not something you could step straight into, but it's. Uh, I would say it's the fifth stage of understanding. And the sixth stage, I would say, is that adding to that understanding is that each part is protecting you from the prior part and this is what in IFS they call um, exiling in other words they say that uh, you, you've literally banished this part well I prefer the idea of covering um, as the part still lives within you but simply cannot be seen I then have another section called all parts are welcome where I describe my uh, part and my main parts um, in more detail. My main part has me acting out in egotistical ways, often encouraging me to claim more than I am capable of. In this respect, he's a lot like Peter. I had wrestled with him for years and years, sometimes trying to hide him and sometimes uh, pleased with him. But it was only when I developed this method that I could understand him and develop a better relationship with him. Since this part was not a result of illness, I could stop fighting it. This helped me to look beyond the typical conflict, shame and embarrassment of thinking of myself as ill or, uh, you know, some pathology. I could then work with the part that Peter was protecting me from. Now the part Peter was covering was a much younger part that had been ignored and was incredibly sad. Frightened that he will be forgotten or rejected, which is always the main concern of your brain, he would want to shrink and isolate. The egotistical part is constructed to hide the sad part, which your brain believes no one should ever see. This part covers the sad part by overreaching and fantasising about success and receiving admiration, etc., which of course is all part of acceptance. So, my drinking and drug taking part was constructed around the age of 15 when the egotistical part was getting me into too much trouble. Now, this drinking part is also egotistical, but the anaesthetizing effect of the drugs meant that I didn't need to convince anyone. Typically, of people who become addicted, problems that arise through the actions of the addicted part lead to a huge set of problems that then took years to develop and even more years to face. When I work with people these days the progress and transformation come much faster because of my understanding that parts are sequential and always cover the prior part. Instead of fighting the larger outer part we ask this part to trust us to work with the smaller inner part. I'll now describe the idea of inner discipling on a more general level, and this will help you to apply this approach to yourself as we move into the practice section. Well, actually, that's all pretty much of chapter 11. So I want to go back now and just speak to it a little bit. So we start with the idea that I am working this approach myself. I think this is vital for any therapist or any practitioner to say I believe in this to the effect that not only do I practice it with others I practice it with myself and I have had a lot of progress through it in fact I would say and often do say to my clients you know I so wish I'd known this 40 years ago I even wish I'd known it you know 25 years ago working in uh, rehabs and so on you could see how based on observation which is all we had in those days we we were onto the tail of this thing you know we did understand the idea of parts that there was more going on than uh, met the eye but we didn't have the neuroscience to back it up we didn't understand uh, that it was actually a normal part of a human being and To me, I would say, if if you were to say, what was the main thing I got from Dr. Schwartz's work as a systemic therapist, um, I would say the main key uh, to this approach is the idea that it's not medical. Of all the things that uh, are a part of this approach, I would say that is the key. Until you understand that you're not actually trying to get uh, fixed from some kind of spiritual malady or some kind of illness that you have, uh, you're always going to be effectively fighting your own demons. What he taught us and what he uh, embarked upon in a, a very courageous way in those days was the idea of working with a client and their parts from a perspective, as he called it, all parts are welcome. The idea that we should welcome these parts and discover that actually given their own limited and naive understanding that they're actually just trying to help you. Exactly the same way that the disciples were just trying to help themselves. And I think this is extraordinary as a discovery. And I've seen it so many times in my clients that once they grasp this idea... Once they start to work with themselves on this basis, then transformation comes uh, rapidly. Now, I've got a little story about this, which I just think is appropriate. It's probably a story for systemic therapists more than anyone else, but um, it, it, it may it may resonate with others. Many years ago, um, there, there are many stars in the systemic field, uh, but... Of all of them, I think Tom Anderson is one of the best-known, one of the greatest. Uh, Tom Anderson, I think, was uh, Norwegian. Um, I know that he was an MD in, uh, I think, northern Norway, um, to start with. Uh, But he developed really... Um, progressive ideas within systemic work such as the uh, reflecting team and so on if you've had systemic training you'll know what i mean if you haven't it doesn't matter so much the the important thing about the story is that this guy was something of a superstar and he came to london once while i was doing my training he came to london to teach us for a week and we had a fascinating time with him as you always would with tom um Extremely uh, open-minded and extremely respectful of people and their humanity. We got some great training with him, and the reason I'm telling you the story is because at the end of the week, he started to get quite intimate and personal as he as he spoke, and he talked about the way that we as human beings are much bigger than our bodies. You know we, that we're socially reaching out much much wider and he talked about our conversation and all of that sort of typical systemic stuff in a way but then he said this thing that stuck with me forevermore he said so I don't really know what a person is anymore now that as a a description of a person from someone who studied them and worked with them for years I thought was a fascinating thing to say And I think from his perspective, and at that time, I think it was, in a way, quite reasonable. Because, again, we were only working, really, with observation. And from an observational point of view, I think he was saying, I can't really define a person uh, from that perspective. Now, I think the reason I'm telling you that story is because I think we now can. I think, even if we maybe can't quite, I think we're much, much closer. I certainly would not say that to someone now. I would say now that I can define a person more in terms of what neuroscience has shown us, that we understand ourselves not just as uh, complex beings, but the idea that the brain and the mind and the way that they are... Uh, naturally in conflict with each other, isn't only something that neuroscience has shown us, but has, is something that the Bible has been saying all along. But once you get this magical key, that actually that's not to do with illness, that's just to do with the different nature of the two beings. Your spirit, in other words, what the Bible calls the mind of Christ... Or what therapy might call your authentic self is a very different being than the brain that protects you or the Bible would call it your flesh or um, neuroscience would call it the the prehistoric brain these two things are completely different they have a totally different uh, perspective on life they don't see it the same way Um, effectively your mind can grasp concepts and can look at the bigger picture and the deeper picture uh, than your brain can possibly imagine now the Bible talks about this very simply in um, in Romans uh, chapter 8 when it, it basically says the mind run by the flesh in other words when your brain has taken over your mind that you simply cannot conceive of God uh, because your brain has no clue what God is. I often say to my, my groups and my teaching groups that you might as well go and try and explain God to a cow in a field. It's got Your brain has no chance of understanding God. What we can aim for is not to educate the brain and try and teach it something it's not capable of understanding. What we can do, however, is we can teach your brain to trust you. Now, at that point, we're getting so close to what i'm now calling inner discipling because that's exactly what jesus did he couldn't in the three years that he was teaching them and working with them he couldn't fully get them to grasp who he actually was he told them he explained it but their minds just couldn't conceive of it however he could and did get them to trust him completely but it cost him his life He had to die in order to get them to trust him because he had to be resurrected. Now, this is all very profound and deep, but once we take it inside, once we internalise this idea, it becomes the most effective therapeutic tool I have ever discovered. And we'll go on in chapter 12 to talk about it more. Maybe I should just finish by saying a little bit about my own parts. I've talked in a very general way about what is, to be honest, quite a common construction of parts. Uh, I've discovered this type of hierarchy many times in my clients, particularly addicted ones, where as you get down towards the smaller parts, uh, there is usually a very young part that for one reason or another feels like they're going to be rejected or feels like they have been rejected, And so that's usually about shame or sadness or inadequacy uh, or something wrong with you or something. And usually uh, another part is developed to completely cover that part later on in later childhood. And that part is usually either very egotistical, as in my case, uh, wanting to be or feeling the need to be exceptional just to be accepted, you know, There must be something wrong with me. Well, therefore, I have to be exceptional. Um, And that can obviously come out in all kinds of ways, whether it's in the arts or whether it's in business or whether it's in sports or the media. You know, these are the sort of fields that people try and excel in and are often driven by a part of them that feels that um, it must cover and protect you from the previous part. When that part gets too much, as it often does... Uh, in cases like mine, there is an escape or or fleeing part uh, that is developed to cover the egotistical part, which it gets too embarrassing often. Um, And that, for me, was a drug-taking or um, drinking part. The main thing I tried to get across in the chapter was that once that part has developed, which it did for me around about 15, it took me then another 15 years to deal with it because it develops its own problems because it's a what what in IFS they call a firefighter part it's not a strategic or management part it causes a massive amount of problems all by itself and of course these problems are quite separate from the problems that you're trying to get away from in other words the uh, cure becomes worse than the disease for me untangling all of that and realising that you're dealing with what effectively is problem number two for the first several years and you don't even get to problem number one until you've really sorted problem number two and all the issues that drinking brought into my life that's a kind of a whistle stop tour if you like of my own parts and i'm glad in a way that i find that they're quite a typical construction because i think that helps me as a therapist recognize the the uh, the common construction that people come in with I've done interviews along these lines uh, with uh, clients who have uh, received this this treatment and done very well with it and now I'm giving you a, a little story of my own so there it is for this week we'll go on to what I believe might be the final chapter in the book um, and in the next of this series if you got something from this series uh, or are getting something or finding something useful please take the time to contact me send me a message and i am i will do my best and to endeavor to answer it uh, and any questions you might have if you want to support the ministry uh, and help me to get the book published get the ministry going and and support churches and church leadership as, in a way that i believe the ministry is set up to do then I will leave a link below for my Patreon page which will give you an opportunity to support this ministry financially because I will always make this material free to the end user. So until next time, be blessed and bye for now.